Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 Podcast, your weekly travels through the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters through the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Now, we've been asked a few times on the socials if we were going to cover any of the reprinted Golden Age stories that popped up at this period in the early 70s. And obviously, a lot of the ones that have been in the 52-page Giants, we haven't. A lot of the ones in 100 pages, we haven't. Well, mm-hmm. we did talk about a Max Mercury story a few weeks ago. But we always planned to do an episode around the reprint series Wanted, or to give it its full title, Wanted, the World's Most Dangerous Villains. When the entire series was collected as a hardback a few years ago, they, they changed it to the World's Most Dangerous Supervillains, but just Dangerous Villains in the original, which is nice. Anyway, so, Wanted... We said in the past there were quite a lot of reprint titles at DC at this point in the 70s, obviously to try and chip away at that massive paper mountain that they'd built up. And Wanted is a really interesting one. As we said in the past when we talked about the 100-page giants, the 52-pagers and 100-pagers and reprints series were really good for all us fans coming up a few years later that wanted to read more stories with yes. the Golden Age characters. And Wanted is an excellent resource. Wouldn't you agree, Peter? Absolutely. Utterly invaluable, yes. It's where we could actually experience these characters for the first time because, as we've said many a time, there were no graphic novel collections. Nope. There was no comicsology. There was no DC Infinite. There was no way to actually access any of these stories unless you had a ton of money and could afford some Golden Age comics or you picked up one of these reprints. Yeah, I mean, this is long before the committed sort of archive programme or the omnibus programme or anything like that, but still a long way mm-hmm. from, you know, we've never heard a Johnny Quick omnibus or a Nerman omnibus, we can only dream, but Wanted ran for nine issues between 1972 and 1973. Issue one was published on the 18th of May 1972, and issue nine published on the 3rd of May 1973. Bi-monthly most of the time, but they managed to churn out monthly for a few issues, but it was preceded, the regular series was preceded by two issues of DC Special. DC Special, of course, was that wonderful themed reprint title which had featured characters or featured themes, be it sports stories or mm-hmm. horror stories or western stories or whatever. But there were two issues of DC Special. Issue 8, published on the 21st of March 1970, and issue 14, published on the 1st of July 1971. So they obviously must have done quite well for the regular series to follow, you know, less than a year later. Yes. So you get a, quite a mixed bag of Golden Age and Silver Age reprints. It's interesting because it has quite a few famous one-and-done characters like the Signalman, you know, that famous Batman villain. But the series also reprints a few of the first appearances of characters like Solomon Grundy and The Mist. Yes. As an amateur Golden Age sort of archaeologist in the in the early 90s, making it as Pete said, you know, there was in the days before comicsology and we had to make do, this series was, was a little goldmine. As I might have said earlier, the whole series was reprinted in a nice hardcover in 2020, with a full issue 10. Yes. With three female-led character stories added in as well. So if you haven't got it already, you should really get a hold of one because there's some brilliant reading in it. A lot of really, really good stories. And it's taken us a long time to figure out which ones we were actually going to do. Yes. Because there's another similar series called Secret Origins, which debuts in a few months as on the timeline. And we're planning an episode based on that. So what we didn't want to do was duplicate characters. We didn't want to do Grundy or the Gentleman Ghost because we'd already sort of discussed them at length when those characters had reappeared in the Silver Age. Yes. And there are a couple of characters that we considered doing, but then we realised that we could actually hold on to them and do them in other episodes at some point in the future. And that's all I'm going to say in the matter. So stay tuned for those, yes. So, 
after lots and lots of debate and decisions and no arguments, to be honest, but a lot of thought, <laughs> we only very recently decided that we were going to do two stories from issue seven. Mm -hmm. Issue seven published on 11th of March, 1973, a mere six weeks before something very significant happened indeed. We're not going to list every single story that appears in every single issue because we'd be here all night and there's no point and we would encourage you instead to go and get a copy of the hardcover or indeed track down the reprints yourself. Peter, can you remember the first issue of Wanted that you ever purchased? I can. It was issue eight. It reprinted. Uh, Captain Cold versus the Flash story from Flash 114, The Big Freeze, mm. and also reprinted a Doctor Fate story, Mr. Who, from More Fun Comics 73. I remember Mr. Who popping up in All-Star Squadron when, about yes. when the crisis uh -huh. was happening, so we will see him uh -huh. on the podcast eventually. I think my first issue was issue nine, mm -hmm. Sandman and Superman. I've upgraded it since. It's quite a low-grade copy. My copy of issue one's quite low-grade as well. The rest of them, I think I probably just got from Mr. Root at some point in the 90s. But anyway, I've rabbited on enough. Peter, would you like to tell everyone about the cover to issue seven of Wanted, the World's Most Dangerous Villains? Well, ladies and gentlemen, brace yourself because we finally have a new DC logo mm. in the top left-hand corner. It's in a, in a lovely circle and it says DC, very similar to the current DC logo. Underneath that, it says Wanted. And then we have the world's most dangerous villains and the big wanted banner emblazoned at the top with your 20 cents price in the top right hand corner and the Comics Code Authority symbol there also. I like these covers because they sort of look, obviously they're stylized to look like wanted posters that you might see pinned up in a police station or, or whatever, you know. They certainly are. I love them. Yep. And there are two images pinned up underneath this wanted logo. On the left hand side, we have. Wanted, Dr. Cliver, who arranged a KO for Johnny Quick. And this image shows an almost demonic-like figure mm. in a suit, but he's got horns and a bald head and evil eyebrows and jagged teeth with a red cape coming down from him, hands clasped, and he's poised above a boxing ring where he's watching a boxer punch poor Johnny Quick in the face. Johnny's going flying and not the way he usually does. Mm. And all the spectators are looking on aghast. My goodness. Exciting. And on the right hand side, we have another banner that says, Wanted Dr. Glisten, who hung the Hour Man in mid-air. And indeed, that's exactly what's happening. The Hour Man is being basically hung in mid-air. By this bald man with a white shirt on who's basically pointing at him and it looks like he's almost projecting a ray yeah. holding him legs akimbo up in the air with his cape dangling down. Rex doesn't look happy. He doesn't. It's quite interesting. The first time I saw this cover, I kind of conflated the two images because Dr. Glisten, the guy in the white shirt, the bald, grotesque bald head, he almost looks like a boxing referee. <laughs> he does actually, yeah. It looks like he's got a little bow tie going on just through the shadow from his collar. So for, yeah. in, my, in my head for years, I've just kind of conflated that Rex was floating above <laughs> a, a wrestling ring or a boxing ring or something. And, and this was a, a strange sports stories themed issue. Um, <laughs> in our preparation, Peter has discovered that this is not the first story to feature Johnny Quick's foe, Dr. Clever. It's not, no. Dr. Clever first appeared in More Fun Comics 74. That's from October 22nd, 1941. And in that story, Johnny and Tubby visit a restaurant that's giving away free foods. Johnny is suspicious and investigates, but the chef locks him in the freezer. The customers who ate the food suddenly find that their skin has turned blue, 
juicy chemicals in the foods. The chef's an evil chemist named Dr. Clever, and he offers to sell them the antidote for an outrageous price. Johnny Quick escapes the freezer and stops Clever. He gives the victims the antidote, but Clever can't be arrested. The criminal chemist then concocts a new scheme using a machine which he claims will extract gold from seawater. He sells the gold at bargain prices, but Johnny deduces that the gold is actually stolen and not created by Clever's machine at all. When the scientist tries to steal more, Johnny Quick stops him, but he's knocked out before he can apprehend Dr. Clever. Having been foiled twice, Clever starts a new racket by stealing the inventions of amateur inventors. Johnny tricks him by giving him a gun that can supposedly cause explosions. But when Clever tries to use the gun to rob a bank, the gun sounds an alarm which alerts the police. And Johnny is then able to apprehend Clever and send him to prison. And that was the first appearance of Dr. Clever. Yes, the Johnny Quick story we are now going to read was originally published in issue 76 of More Fun Comics, which came out on 19th of December 1941. And worth pointing out that Johnny Quick's only been around for six issues at this point, and he's already got a recurring villain, mm-hmm. which is fascinating, if you ask me. We should point out as well that in this story, Johnny's costume hasn't quite evolved to the one that's maybe more familiar. He hasn't got his yellow gloves yet. It's a kind of one-piece sure. red top and yellow tights. The mask isn't quite as fancy as it would become. Just a domino mask, really, but yeah. Yeah, it's still recognisably him. And so we begin the first panel. We have a massive, big Johnny, Johnny Quick logo and an opening image, which is very similar to the one on the cover, of the demonic Dr. Clever in his evening suit and evening cape and his bow tie and his vicious-looking eyebrows that definitely meet in the middle. That's a bad sign. And his horns. Fascinating. I want to know where these horns came from. I want to know what deals he he struck with whatever demons they ended up looking at this. It's fascinating. It's a representative image of him at a massive size looking down on the, the spotlighted boxing ring where Johnny is engaged in fisticuffs and the crowd are all being and shouting. There's a signature on the side of this image which indicates that this story was at least drawn by Mort Morton Jr. Interesting. And an opening caption underneath this opening splash image which reads Known from pole to pole as the King of Speed, Johnny Quick, fastest man on earth, once again flashes across the sky with meteor-like velocity. A human hurricane whose swiftness serves justice. But suddenly from out of the past appears the insidious Dr. Clever a rebel scientist who seeks to dethrone the King of Speed, with an opponent as elusive as Quicksilver in The The Adventure Adventure of the the Human Human Streak. Streak. Interesting. Elusive as Quicksilver, yes. Jinx, yes, you may banter. (laughs) And it's worth pointing out that caption is on a sort of a piece of paper which seems to have bled and formed out of the eyes of a skull. So there you go. Mm, I think there's some real, some nastiness involved in the the scheming of Dr. Clever. Dr. Clever. Mm-hmm. What is that his real name, listeners? What do you think? What do you think Dr. <laughs> Clever's real name is? Write in and let us know. Peter will give you the contact details at the end of the episode. Yes. We get a bit more of a scene-setting caption now, which says... Behind the grim grey walls of the state penitentiary, the prison guard makes his rounds. Suddenly... Yes, we see a wide-eyed, surprised prison guard grasping the bars of a cage or a cell who yells, That Dr. Clever! He's hanged himself. Maybe he's still breathing. I'll have to see. And as we turn the page, worth pointing out, a lot of the panels in this are very small. <laughs> yes. They pack a lot in the olden days. Mm-hmm. We get a view inside the cell where we can see that a figure is indeed hanging from the light fitting in the centre of the room. The guard, as he steps in, realises, Why? It's only a dummy! Oh! And he's struck on the head by a 
caped, suited figure who says, Beware of imitations. <laughs> I knew that dummy I made out of blankets would fool you. Next panel is a caption, which I don't know, is that a caption or is it just the name of the news delivery service? Anyway, it just says Flash, and we see a hatted figure yelling into a microphone. And after knocking out his jailer, the insidious Dr. Clever escaped, killing two guards on his way out. His whereabouts are unknown. A slow dissolve. Miles away in a hidden laboratory. Yes, it's almost like we're looking through a peephole. We see Dr. Clever, who's stroking a cat. And he's standing with a couple of his bad guy associates, one of whom is going to feature in the story quite prominently. Very thick-looking skull, wearing a green suit, thick black hair. Dr. Clever is saying, And now I am free again, free to continue my battle of wits with that infernal meddler, Johnny Quick. And his green-suited goon says, What you holding that cat for, boss? The doctor continues in the next panel as he moves towards a rather fancy-looking bit of equipment, saying, Speed is Johnny Quick's great weapon, but we can defeat him by fighting him with super speed. See what happens when the lamp's rays shine on this cat. And indeed, we can see that the equipment has a sort of focusing dial at the top and what looks like a large light bulb. The caption for panel five says, Suddenly, a flash of light, the whining hum of powerful dynamos, and the feline creature is bathed in an aura of electrical energy. Yes, our old friends, the concentric circles, are radiating over this poor cat. The caption for panel six. Later... The cat is suddenly flying around the room. One other blue-suited goon remarks, Holy cow! Look at that cat streak past! The guy in the green suit says, I don't see no cat. Because he's obviously going so quickly. A cat that streaks fast, is that, could that be the... The precursor to Streaky the Supercat. Yeah, this yes. is the Earth 2 Streaky the Supercat. <laughs> Panel 7, Dr. Clever grins at the guy in the green suit and says, the rays liberated by this lamp speed up the actions of all organisms exposed to their influence. Breezy, for that's the guy in the green suit. Step under the lamp for a sample treatment, Breezy says. My heart ain't in it, but orders is orders. And in the next panel, we see Breezy is being bathed in a golden ray from the lamp, which now seems to be ceiling mounted. Breezy says, Look, fellas, my mitt's moving so fast you, you can't see it. And indeed his left hand appears to be vibrating, Dr. Clever says. Exactly, Breezy. All your muscular reactions have been speeded up at such a terrific rate that you're the fastest man in the world. Moving back and forth at incredible speed, Breezy is able to dodge a volley of bullets. Yes, it looks like his colleagues are firing on him, but he's moving from side to side rapidly and dodging out of the way of the bullets. Off camera, Dr. Clever says, No further proof needed, eh, Breezy? I, I get you, Doc. Now you see me, now you don't. And in the first panel of page three, it's a bit of a montage. It's very clever. Mm -hmm. It shows how sophisticated a lot of the Gold Age storytelling was in some ways. A lot of the figure work's rudimentary. The figures are a bit scratchy, but you know, the layout and panels and stuff is often very interesting. Yes. A demonic green Doctor Clever is clutching and throwing dollar bills all over the place. The caption for the first two little inset panels says, The next day at a leading bank, we see a teller poking out from behind his counter saying, Huh? That money's flying away! And we see a green-sleeved arm grabbing the money, and Breezy's voice says, You said it, pal. The hand is quicker than the eye. The caption for the next inset panel. Later, at a fashionable jewellery store. Yes, we see a couple of attractive young ladies looking on as a terrified shop assistant says, My word! Those perils are disappearing! Breezy's at it again. He's making a grab, and he says, 
Brother, you said a mouthful. Now, panel two of page three is a shot of a newspaper. The paper's called Headline News, and a headline reads, New Crime Wave, Speed Wizard Strikes Again. And another headline says, Human Streak Baffles Police. Now, and it's not too clear. It looks like there's a hole in the newspaper. Yeah. And we see Dr. Clever. Now, at first I thought, is this supposed to be a photograph of Dr. Clever illustrating the story? Or is now I think it's just some kind of symbolic thing mm. from bursting through the image. It's quite effective. I think it would have worked better if it was a bigger panel, mind you. But anyway, yeah, true, true. Everyone's a critic. Caption for panel three. A few days later at the famous sporting arena. Yes, we don't get the name of the famous sporting arena, but we're assured that it's famous. Listeners, if you can think of a famous sporting arena that you'd like the story to take place in, you go ahead. Now, we see Johnny Quick standing in the middle of a boxing ring, and his right hand is being held up by a suited announcer who cries, And now, as the next event in this monster benefit show for the USO, we give you Johnny Quick, who will fight five men at the same time. And a very excited man in the audience cries, Bravo! Now... To give my voice a rest, Peter's could read out this very long caption. Though Johnny Quick has thrilled millions with his mile-a-moment marvels, no living mortal shares the secret that has made him the King of Speed. The foster son of the late Professor Gill, Johnny was bequeathed a formula for coordinating gravity and electricity. Just as a person can open a safe that contains a great treasure by owning the correct combination... So Johnny Quick's formula unlocks a treasure hoarded by nature, the secret of space and time. And a little tiny Johnny Quick has stood there with his arms folded. That caption is amazing, isn't it? Yes, I love that. That's phenomenal. When we did that Quicksilver story a few weeks ago, we talked mm -hmm. about how that character was revived as Max Mercury and featured heavily yeah. in um, Mark Wade's Run in the Flash. Johnny Quick, obviously, was featured there for a little while as well uh -huh. before he popped off in issue 11 of Impulse. But I don't remember reading any stories before that, that said that Johnny's formula involved coordinating gravity and electricity. That's are. fantastic. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to have to get a full back tattoo of that caption, I think. Right. <laughs> There's a caption for the next panel. Five Goliaths of the ring prepare to send Johnny down for the count in the sports classic of all time. Yes, we see five very grotesque. Oh, my goodness. Five boxers all lined up to, to give Johnny a, a turn. The first one says, I'll use my Sunday punch. And another one says, My left pack's dynamite. And in the next panel, close-up of Johnny, we can see the very unsophisticated mask he has at this point, as he thinks... They mean business. Three times two, nine YZ, four A. Yes, near the bottom of page three, there's the star of the show getting in line at last. Fantastic. There's a very dramatic caption for the next panel that says... The dynamic formula transforms Johnny Quick into a human windmill. Yep, we see Johnny's right arm vibrating as he punches out two boxers at once. There's a massive suckle sound effect as the two guys go flying. One of them exclaims, Oof! And Johnny says, I'm doing this for sweet charity. Sweet Charity, I think, is my sister's favourite movie. I could be wrong. No, it's not. It's Labyrinth. But Sweet Charity's up there. I think she's got a tattoo. Alison, if you're listening... And you should be. Let me know. Now, the first panel of page four is a cracker. It reminds me of a, a Neil Adams Legion of Superheroes cover. Do you know the one I'm thinking of? Oh, yes. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. When, yeah. when the, the perspective and the layout of it is, I think it's Superboy in a boxing ring with Validus of the Fatal Five. That's mm -hmm. what it puts me in mind of. Johnny is punching out another boxer. And as he does so, he says, This hurts you more than it does me. Fantastic. 
Panel two, we pull back to a wider shot of the ring. Three, three of the boxers are stretched out on the ground, and <laughs> Johnny punching out the other two. Johnny is saying, Seven more of you chaps, and I'll be doing my daily dozen." And then, a ha- what looks like a hatted and caped figure in the audience cries, "Bravo! Quick!" To me, that's the Phantom Stranger. <laughs> Can you imagine having an evening off? <laughs> Panel three of page four. The announcer has put his hand on Johnny's shoulder. And he's roaring to the crowd. Folks, you have just witnessed an amazing exhibition of mind over matter. Here he is, the winner, unbeaten, unconquerable, Johnny Quick. And I'm sure there's a round of applause. Caption for the next panel. In the rear of the arena, two pairs of baleful eyes watch the proceedings. Yes, it's none other than the satanic-looking Dr. Clever and his mate Breezy. Dr. Clever is saying, Breezy, my man, this looks like the chance I've been waiting for. You're going to fight quick and beat him. Listen. Okay, Chief. Now that you've given me a shot of that ray, I'll murder him. A very small caption says. The new challenger seeks out the Master of Ceremonies. Yes, we see Breezy talking to our pal, the announcer. Breezy is saying, Here's one grand in cash I'll donate to the USO if I can't lick Johnny quick. I think you're crazy, man, but it's a deal, says the announcer. And then a caption for the next panel. In the dressing room. We see Breezy. Stripped and in boxing gear, a couple of boxing gloves, punching away at a punch bag, saying, What's that saying about an irresistible force meeting an immovable object? That's what's going to happen when the bell rings. A caption interrupts the flow of panels now. The bell rings and two fighters lunge at each other in the start of the classic bout of all time. At such a whirlwind rate of speed does Breezy batter his opponent. His flashing fists are almost invisible. Yeah, the final panel of page four is cracking, and it's probably going to make it to the socials. It's Johnny looks like he's fighting off five boxers at once, but we know it's just Breezy. There's a, a whole barrage of sound effects that read... Wham! Pow! Biff! Bam! Bop! So, after that barrage, we arrive at the top of page five. The caption of the first panel says... Suddenly, Johnny lashes out with hurricane fury. Yes, he punches back at Breezy, saying, Sure hate to spoil your fun, but the USO need that thousand dollars. Breezy's down in the canvas in panel two. Straightening up, he says, Wow, I thought he was done for, but the USO won't get that dough, Mr. JQ. Not if I use my head. The caption in for the next panel says, Johnny Quick walks over to Breezy, who gets up off the canvas hesitantly. Yes, see Breezy straightening up. Johnny, standing over him, says, Sorry, fella. I didn't mean to hurt you. And then the caption for panel four says, Suddenly, Breezy straightens up. His head collides with Johnny's jaw with stunning force. Yes, there's a wham sound effect. And Breezy says, I accept your apology. Johnny falls backwards. We cut to the crowd in the next panel. One guy in a brown hat and suit says, Johnny quicks out cold. And um, a Jimmy Olsen lookalike turns to the man next to him and says, How did it happen? The cigarette-smoking man replies, saying, Brother, I couldn't see a thing. It was too fast for me. And then we cut to a crying child who says to his dad, Dad, that man knocked out Johnny Quick. He can't do that. I follow Johnny Quick's adventures in more fun comics every month and nobody can beat Johnny. We're going to come back to that sentence. The boy's dad says, I'm sorry, son, but it looks as if the best man won. They're carrying your hero out on a stretcher now. Slow dissolve caption for the next panel says, Inside the dressing room, a dark spectacled man pushes his way through the crowd of attendants. Yes, 
figure wearing a purple suit and a hat. Why is he wearing a hat? Is it to cover up his horns, I wonder? Is it, it looks though he's examining Johnny and next standing also next to the table that Johnny stretched down runs. A man has a green suit who I think is probably breezy and this guy says An ambulance just arrived, doctor. The examining doctor says This man is in serious condition. He should be sent to a hospital immediately. The unconscious Johnny Quick is carried into the ambulance. Yes, we see an ambulance. We can tell it's an ambulance because it's got the word ambulance written on its roof. We see the, the doctor who just examined Johnny walking out of the ambulance with his bag in his right hand. And the driver leans out the window and says, How am I doing, Dr. Clever? Quiet, fool. Do you want anyone to suspect that this is a phony ambulance? Take him to my laboratory. The final panel of page five is then captioned. Later, at the arch-criminal's laboratory. Yes. I was trying to describe this. In the foreground of the panel is a big chain hanging down from the ceiling. I'm not sure if that's going to be relevant. We can see a, a large box machine on the left of the panel, which has a very obvious switch on it, big hand switch. There's a spotlight shining down on all of this, and in a sort of cocoon-shaped wire cage mm. suspended at the top of two poles is none other than our Johnny Quick, who wakes up, comes to, and says, Where am I? And Dr. Clever for he's there too, stands with his hands in the air and yells, In a pretty tight spot, if you ask me. Breezy remarks, How would you like the squirrel cage, quick? And we get a shot of the two grotesques in the first panel of page six, as Dr. Clever has a, a cigarette and a cigarette holder clamped between his massive teeth. He's terrifying, and his eyebrows do meet in the middle. Ugh. Yes. Dr. Clever roars with laughter and says, Too bad our feud must end now, Johnny Quick. You were a formidable adversary while you lasted. Breezy grins and says, Yeah, but you are too slow for us. <laughs> Next panel is an interesting angle showing Dr. Clever about to operate the big lever, the big switch on his machine. You can see Johnny in the cage high up above. The doctor is saying, As my special enemy, I have reserved a special finish for you, quick. Once I pull this switch, the iron cocoon that holds you will become red hot. The switch is thrown. Slowly, the iron bars on the cage begin to warm. Yeah, we don't really see that. We get another shot of Dr. Clever and Breezy framed by the machinery, as Dr. Clever says. Get out of that hot spot, my friend. And now we bid you farewell, while we attend to some bidding of our own. Breezy says. Yeah, if we told you what we was going to do, it would burn you up. That's rich. I forgot that you'll be burning up anyway. He's such a cad, isn't he, that breezy? Caption for panel four. Moments pass. Electrical heat radiates through the iron bars until the cage begins to glow. Yes, this is a very interesting panel. We can see the red and yellow energy, the heat that's radiating off the cage with Johnny still in the middle. Johnny says, That heat's terrific. How on earth can I stay calm, cool and collected? And he gets a close-up in panel five when he says, I've got it. My formula. Three times two, nine YZ, four A. It's my only chance. And then the caption for panel six says, Racing furiously with typhoon speed, Johnny's flying feet rotate the metal cage round and round. Yeah, and we see the cage start to spin on its axis. Johnny's saying, This is one way to escape a hot foot. The caption for panel seven then reads, Faster, faster, races the king of speed like a human tornado. The gyrating cage setting up a terrific vacuum. Yes, we can see there's definitely some kind of atmospheric disturbance between where Johnny is and uh, the controls on the machinery. It's almost like he's sucking all the air out of the room. It's very hard to describe. It's almost like he's created a little tornado between where he is and the machinery. Anyway, 
a caption for the final panel of page six. Finally, a giant whoosh of air from the man-made suction and the whirlpool of air rips the switchboard from its moorings. Yes, there's a massive crack as the switch goes flying. A caption then for the first panel of page seven. The supply of heat cut off. Johnny Quick flexes his powerful muscles, pulls the metal bars apart. Yep, and he escapes from the cage and drops to the ground, saying, That was easy. And then the caption for panel two says, Johnny snoops around the laboratory. Yes, he picks something up. Hmm, this searchlight is marked reverse. If it's what I think it is, I can use it on Dr. Clever. Interesting. What's going on? What is Johnny? Hmm, anyway, capture for panel three. A moment later, the King of Speed's wonder formula hurls him through space, like a shaft shot from an archer's bow. Yeah, there's a great zip sound effect as Johnny just hurtles through the sky. He's clearly flying here. Yes. Arms outstretched. There's not a hint of him, you know, vibrating his legs to drive himself forward, which is something that we got used to in his All-Star Squadron days. Very interesting to, to observe. As he zips along, Johnny says, That devil said he had some bidding to do, and I think I know what he meant. Another slow dissolve and another caption. At the Endersby Auction House, Society's Elite bids for a collection of rare gems. Yes, the auction room is packed. The auctioneer is up on the stage, leaning on his podium, rather carelessly if you ask me, with a fancy bit of jewellery in his hand. And he's saying, How much my bid for this diamond tiara, formerly the property of the Duchess of Marmorvia? And a man in the audience cries, I'll bid 10,000. And we see, standing in a corner, Dr. Clever and Breezy. Dr. Clever says, do your stuff, Breezy. Breezy streaks up to the auctioneer. Yes, Breezy has arrived on stage. We can see him vibrating next to the auctioneer. And he grabs, what doesn't actually look like a tiara listens, it looks like a fancy necklace. Mm -hmm. Grabs it out of the auctioneer's hand, saying, And now bid nothing. I say, exclaims the auctioneer. The caption for the next panel then says, Suddenly, a human meteor flashes upon the scene. Yes, flying overhead, very clearly, in a traditional superhero flying pose, is our Johnny Quick. A woman in the audience cries, Johnny Quick! And the auctioneer, who's appalled, says, This was supposed to be a dignified auction. The final panel of page 7, Johnny has landed on the stage, and he punches Breezy, sending him flying, saying, You're the highest bidder, whether you know it or not. First panel of page 8, it's a close-up of Breezy, who says, just a lucky punch. Now watch me KO him. And then, in the next three panels, Breezy tries to punch Johnny, but Johnny ducks and weaves around him, saying, Going, going, gone! And with a whack, punches Breezy, sending Breezy flying. Dr. Clever looks appalled. The caption says, Suddenly! We see Dr. Clever looking as evil as he's ever looked, and he's got something in his hand all of a sudden, and he proclaims, When I throw this bomb... You'll only be a memory, Johnny Quick. Even your speed can't save you now. Quick as a wink, the King of Speed flashes the searchlight at his great enemy. Yes, Johnny's got the torch he picked up in the laboratory. He switches it on, fires the beam, saying, A little light on the subject ought to save the day. And then we see Dr. Clever from behind, with his hand raised. He's saying, The reverse ray. I can't move. Stuck. Johnny runs towards him, saying, Just as I thought. This ray works in reverse, slows up a person's motion so that he can hardly move. In the next panel, he cries, I've been wanting to pay you my respects for a long time, with interest. And he punches up at Dr. Clever and has a massive swish sound effect as he goes flying out of view, leaving his shoes behind and dropping the bomb, which Johnny <laughs> catches. Fantastic. 
we arrive at the final panel of the story, which is captioned. Later, as Johnny marks Fini to Dr. Clever's career... We see Johnny flying through the air, Dr. Clever under his right arm, and he has breezy grasp in his left hand. There's a policeman down in the street who points at a sign that says, Go Slow, and shouts up at Johnny, Hey, can't you read that sign? To which a smiling Johnny replies, No, I'm going too fast. And a closing caption tells us that this is... The, the end. end. Well, that was great fun. That was wonderful. I enjoyed that plenty much. Yeah, it's just ridiculous amount of fun. Yeah, a proper beginning, middle and end. Fascinating how small some of the, the panels were at points, you know, as, uh-huh. as they obviously struggle to fit everything in. Yeah. You know, some of Johnny's fights and stuff. Mm-hmm. But let's let's go straight back to that little boy and his dad. That's exactly what I've turned to. <laughs> yes. Little boy highlighting the fact that Johnny appears in more fun comics. Every month. Right, let's unpack this. Mm -hmm. Does this mean Johnny has slipped through to Earth Prime for this adventure and Dr. (laughs) Clever has followed him? Or does it just simply mean in whichever Earth Johnny is operating at this point, there's also a more fun comics series published? Well, as we know, there are comics published about these Golden Age characters at the same time because Wildcat was inspired by a comic Mm. about Mm. Alan Scott's Green Lantern. Mm. to become Wildcat. Yes. So I think it's this is like the precursor to the famous running gag in Marvel where Marvel Comics, you know, published the adventures of all the Marvel heroes that they started yes. in, in FF. Yes. Which is always a fun aspect of Fantastic Four Comics for me, I'll be honest. But yes. yeah, I, I had no idea before I read these stories that, uh, that, that the foundations for that was all laid in the Golden Age. So it's, it's fascinating stuff and that's just brilliant. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I love that, you know, like I said there, some of the some of the panels are a bit cramped, but there is yeah. there's still room for some quite quite dynamic ones like Oh yeah. Page four in particular with that one the the two panels at the top and start of oh, Johnny yeah, definitely. boxing again uh-huh. and Johnny being assaulted and mm-hmm. you know, as unsophisticated as some of the artwork undoubtedly is, yeah. It rattles along and the panel mm-hmm. structures are fascinating. Like the, yeah. the little montage shot and the, the quite heavy captioning at various places, which mm-hmm. doesn't really slow it down. No, absolutely, yeah. Keeps the momentum going. Mm-hmm. Breezy felt like a quite a well-developed character. Yeah. And, you know, Dr. Clever's fascinating. I mean, significant that we don't see Johnny Chambers at any point. Yes, that's true. Or Tubby, for that matter. Or Tubby Watts, for that matter. I'll make a similar point when we do the, the Hourman story in a little while. I'm still so used to just seeing Johnny in All-Star Squadron, so it's quite yeah. fun to mm-hmm. see one of his early adventures. I love that close-up you get in the middle of page six, in the middle panel, and it's... It's very much like you know Alex Toth, Alex Ray. It's it's it's, it's got that kind of Steve Rudd's look to it. It's, it's almost cut right down, but clean, heroic look, especially with the domino mask. Mm-hmm. The line just signifying signifying the top and bottom teeth. It's it's just like a white yeah. image. The white slits for the eyes, the sleek back blonde hair, and just the domino mask actually looks great in Johnny. I think it's weird. In this story, he looks like the red bee with a blonde eye job to me. It's kind of strange. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. The unsophisticated early costume. Mm-hmm. I mean, the greatest compliment I could pay this, um, Mike Aldred could do a cover version of this. He could recreate it panel mm-hmm. for panel, and, and it wouldn't really look no. too different. Mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, it's... Um, oh, without a doubt. Proper comic sensibilities to it all, I think. Yes. I must quickly point out, listeners, that we're both reading from our hardcover copies. Yes, uh-huh. But I have my copy of Wanted Issue 7 handy, and 
What's interesting is that the colouring in the hardcover is not the same as the colouring ah. in Wanted. Breezy in the hardcover appears throughout in a green suit. That's how we described him. But in the Wanted reprint, he has a blue suit. The Ooh. montage of Dr. Clever, which is tinted green in the hardcover reprint, is coloured in normally in the Wanted reprint. And mm. there are a few other sort of similar, just similar details of um, sound effects being coloured in different ways and supporting characters, clothes being coloured in differently, backgrounds mm-hmm. in certain panels being different. And it's interesting that this hardcover purports to be a reprint of the Wanted series, when it's yes. obviously it's obviously not. They might be using the colours from the original stories. It could be, we've not checked that. But yeah. it's it's interesting that um, the colours are different because it's, I suppose, if I'm being uber pedantic about it, it's hmm. not a reprint of the the Wanted series, but a reprint of the stories in the Wanted series. Yes. Aha, aha. Uh-huh. I hate myself, listeners. Don't. Worry. <laughs> Well, I love the idea, just to contradict your hate, I love the idea of this cat still being out there, flying about at super speed. Hey! It's streaky of Earth 2, because we don't see the cat again after no. after its appearance on page 2. So, yeah, that's it. It flies off. And it is flying. It is, you know, yeah. out there. What happened to the cat? That is the question. It's exciting. Is it like the cat and the Invisible Man? Oh, yeah. Did it just sort of have to slow, slow down eventually and, and die? Or was it, you know, did the effects wear off? Interesting. Also, I do love the fact that Dr. Clever, for all his demonic appearance, is basically just a scientist, a mad scientist. And he's even got the Frankenstein-like giant lever that he pulls to activate his machine. Yes. I mean, that's just great. Again, that scene with the giant spotlight coming down on Johnny Mm. and lighting up the room. Everything else is in darkness in the room. You've got Dr. Clever and and, uh, Breezy and Johnny in the cage all in this spotlight and the, the machinery with the giant lever. It's just so atmospheric just seeing that, you know, and everything yes. else is in darkness. It's just, it looks amazing. Yeah. Very sophisticated for the time, I think, yeah. Yes, I mean, obviously, um, Mort, Morton Jr., issue issue seven here clarifies and tells us that it's that's Mort Meskin. Mm-hmm. That's, that's stuck in brackets on the, the first page. Yeah. So, so it's obviously a more familiar name, yeah. which makes me think, actually, that indeed the, the hardcover was prepared from the originals because it, the page... The opening page of Wanted Issue 7 has a tiny caption that tells us that the story's from More Fun Comics 76, but that's not in the, the hardcover reprint. Very ah. interesting if you're mm-hmm. interested in such minuscule details as indeed I am. So I have to spot and see if we can see anything similar when we do the Hourman mm-hmm. story. Now, this was the second story to feature Dr. Clever. Peter has done some more digging, as he always does, and he's found out that Dr. Clever came back to hassle Johnny a couple more times. Yes, Dr. Clever then next appears in More Fun Comics 78. That's the 20th of February 1942. Now, in that story, he escapes prison after murdering his own lawyer. Oh, my goodness. I know, he's a nasty piece of work. He really is. He then contacts his henchman and orders him to kill aviation magnate A.V. Keith. Now, Johnny's cameraman, Tubby Watts, recognises the crooks and informs Johnny. Using his amazing speed, Johnny saves Keith and follows the crooks back to Dr. Clever. At Dr. Clever's hideout, Johnny is captured and imprisoned in a bell jar. Oh no. He spins like a top and cracks the jar to escape. He then heads to the airplane factory where Dr. Clever is trying to finish his assassination attempt. Johnny apprehends Clever and the gang while Tubby records the fight on film. Excellent. So that is his third appearance. He did make one more appearance and that was in Warfun Comics 89, which came out on the 15th of January 1943. And in this story, Johnny's putting on a show for troops and civilians at Cap Calumet using his super speed tricks. It's a, another fundraiser. 
And there's a couple of soldiers there that are fans of Johnny, so get into trouble for fighting the civilians who are bad-mouthing our hero. The soldiers are punished by being given KP duty. And interestingly, it turns out the civilians were actually henchmen of Dr. Clever. Johnny does several tricks during the show, but they're all sabotaged by the henchmen and Dr. Clever. After the show, Johnny hears about the soldiers who fought for his honour and confronts the camp colonel. And he agrees to let Johnny help them. So Johnny does all the tasks the men were ordered to do, including peeling potatoes, washing and drying dishes, and mopping and cleaning the whole camp. Excellent. After that, he flies off carrying the two soldiers on the search for the troublemakers. And they soon find them. And Johnny's surprised to see Dr. Clever with them. The baddies escape with the aid of a gas bomb, which knocks out Johnny and the two soldiers. This was all Dr. Clever's evil scheme, because he then hijacks an armoured car carrying two and a half million dollars which is the payroll for all 40,000 troops at the camp. Wow. Fortunately, Johnny and the soldiers wake up in time for Johnny to stop the hijack and punch out Dr. Clever. There we are, and that's the last we see of Dr. Clever that I'm aware of that I could find. Interesting. Long overdue a comeback, if you ask me. Yeah, fascinating character, mad scientist with a demonic look. Yeah. We need his origin. Jeff Johns, if you're listening. Mm. If you can... Get your finger out and get some more issues of the JSA published. Maybe you want to keep it going. <laughs> I saw something today, this this new Green Arrow series that started this week. Uh-huh. Initially, apparently, planned as six issues. They've already decided to extend it to 12. Well, that's a good thing. So, yeah, must have must have had a good response to, mm-hmm. to it early on or something. Anyway. Everyone likes Ollie? Yes, we do. Everyone does. And he's been on the podcast a few times, and I'm sure he'll be on it again before too long. Right, mm-hmm. so we're going to crack on now. Because we don't want to be here all night, we're going to do the second story we're going to read from Wanted Issue 7. And this is a story featuring my favourite superhero of all time, Rex Tyler, the TikTok tyrant, the Golden Age Hourman. A story originally published in Adventure Comics number 72 in January 1942. So, we have an opening splash panel, which is a large Hourman logo and a great shot of Rex standing over a city. And signature by Bernard Bailey, which is nice. And the caption for the first story panel reads... 3am... A big city settles itself to sleep. The last of the celebrants homeward bound as late spots close. Yes, we see the doorman at the, the woo-woo club, <laughs> which is obviously the happening spot in whichever DC comic city this story takes place in. We see the doorman saying, good night, sir, to a gentleman who's wearing a sailor's cap who's climbing into a, a big fancy car with two of his friends. And this gentleman says in reply, good night. The Ritz build, driver. And as the car pulls off, we have a, a dissolve to another caption for the next panel. And watching as part of his nightly patrol in an unceasing war against crime is the underworld's nemesis, the Our Man. Yes! Yes, we see our man looking buff and strong, and he says, Odd, I distinctly heard that naval man say the Ritz built. The cab is going the wrong way. The Our Man's keen eyes have caught a signal flash of the cab's taillight. Responding, a black sedan bears down on the taxi, and... Yes, and with a screech, the sedan roars in front, making the taxi pull up. Interesting. First panel of page two. Our man is on the move, rushing towards what's going on, and he says, This is where I come in. In panel two, we see that everyone's got out of the cars, and the chauffeur of the sedan is confronting the naval officer and the two other people. The chauffeur says, Take care of him. We'll tie up the officer. He's got a couple of goons with him. Get with him. Crew cut, another guy who we see for the rest of the story, wearing a green jumper with a sort of check pattern on it. If it was horizontal stripes, it looked like Marvel Sandman, but it's not, yeah. so it doesn't. The naval officer who's being confronted by the chauffeur says, What's the meaning of this? 
caption for the next panel says, But it isn't so easy as the thug learns to intimidate a member of Uncle Sam's forces. Yeah, the naval officer isn't having it. He punches the chauffeur. A brilliant uppercut sends his hat flying. The naval officer says, This may be a stick-up, but you'll have to work for it. The guy in the green jumper has pulled his pistol and he says, Hey, you guys, look what's coming. Better grab the officer. It's the hour man. In the next panel, Rex zooms in and punches out the guy in the green. So in the next panel, we see the chauffeur and the guy in the green are both down on the ground. The chauffeur face down, the guy in the green against the wall. Our man turns to the other assembled people and says, Now for the rest of you. Then an explanation. Engrossed in the fighting, the hour man fails to see the leader of the thugs come out of the car and... Yeah, Rex is too busy fighting the others to notice that this bald guy in a suit has appeared and strikes Rex in the back of the head. It looks like he's got a caution in his hand or it's a pistol or something. Takes him down and this man says, Too bad you didn't know about me. And he then turns his gun on the naval officer in the final panel of page two and says, Come on, sailor. You've taken up too much of our time already. Sailor replies, You'll never get away with this. The first caption then for page three says, Forcing the navy man into the car, the men start the motor and the auto speeds away. And indeed it does, leaving behind our man and the other two passengers who were in the car in the first place. The woman cries, Frank! Frank! And the other guy who was in the car looks out the frame and says, I'm going for the police. Say, that man who helped us is coming out of it. And then in panel three, we see our man rubbing his head as he stands up and he says, Did they get away? To which the lady replies, Yes! And they took Frank with them. It's a weird inset thing here. Mm -hmm. An inset diamond shape in this panel, which just goes to show how brilliant Bernard Bailey really was, to be honest. Our man then says, Who are you and who is Frank? The lady replies, I'm Janet Kirby. Captain Frank Preston is my fiancé. Oh, this is awful. What will we do? Frank is supposed to report back to his submarine tomorrow. I hope those men weren't spies. Our man, folded his arms, looking very relaxed, says, I doubt it. But he must be found. Listen, isn't that a police siren? And we see in an inset a police car approaching. The other chap in the brown suit comes back and says, Yes, I called them. I didn't do anything wrong, did I? I'll say you did, says our man. Ducks down to the ground in the next panel, because he spotted something, and he says, Now I've got to get out of here. I think I'll take this rope that those thugs left behind. Yep, piece of rope on the ground. The guy in the brown suit announces that he is, I'm Wayne Carson. Can I help you? Obviously not, because Rex runs off in the first panel of page four, which is captioned. Before the startled Carson can finish his offer of help, the hour man speeds away. Yes, take a drink, listeners, because our man has just run past an open dustbin. The caption for panel two of page three. Then, in a secluded spot, he examines the rope left behind by the abductors. Yeah, it's a fascinating panel, this, because um, our man is basically at the end of <laughs> at the end of a street. He's tiny little matchstick figure. No de and we get some real detail on the, the sort of sheds that he's standing amongst. It's fascinating. It's a great shot of someone examining some rope. What did I just say about Bernard Bailey being clever? Anyway, our man is saying, hmm, something funny about this. Ships use this type of rope. Eureka! I think I've got it! Snaps his fingers in the next panel. Tar! This rope smells as though it came out of a ship Chandler's. That means it may have been bought for just this job. If I find out who bought it, it may lead me to Captain Preston. A slow dissolve. The hour man has stumbled on a fortunate clue, but what of Captain Preston? Well, Captain Preston is being led up to a very ramshackle-looking old building. 
by the the chauffeur who we met earlier on and the the baldy mustachioed blue suit gang leader the baldy mustachioed blue suit gang leader is saying inside captain and not a peep out of you captioning for the next panel through the darkened store the crooks go through a secret room and there awaiting them is a sinister figure with a glowing light surrounding him yes and this guy really does look like an MF Enterprises Captain Marvel villain. <laughs> He's a grotesque, another bald grotesque, with weird teeth and a weird nose and weird ears and weird eyes, very high-domed forehead. Mm. And he's basically his clothes are very ordinary white shirt and a pair of brown trousers, but he's surrounded, as Caption says, with a golden aura. This, of course, listeners, is Dr. Glisson, and honestly, he could have walked out of the Terrible Five quite easily. Yes, without a doubt. Even the name, yes. Him and Mr. Brilliant go at the same tailor, <laughs> you know. Anyway, Captain Preston is led in, the chauffeur and the blue suit man stand there as Dr. Glisson points at the captain and says, I see you have the captain. Good. Yes, the blue suit man replies, It was easy. We followed orders, but the hour man... He's interrupted by a caption that says, At the mention of that dreaded name. And a very scary shot of Dr. Glisson reacting as he says, The hour man? And you did not kill him? How dare you come back to Dr. Glisson with such dismal news? The caption for the next panel. The doctor picks up a whip. The thugs cower in fear. Yes, we see the chauffeur and the blue suit man stepping back. The blue suit man says, Stop, stop. We did bring the captain, though. Dr. Glisson, yes, looking very scary with his whip, says, But there is something to what you say. He then turns to Captain Preston in the final panel of page four, gestures with his hand, looks at little sparks come out of it, and he is disgusting. No offence, but he's grotesque. He says, Look at me and listen. I, Dr. Glisson, am your master. You understand? Captain Preston can only say, Yes, yes. Then he thinks, What's the matter with me? I seem to be powerless. Gosh. We're right at the top of page five now. It's an aerial view looking down from a great height, almost like part of the roof of the, the room that they're in has been cut out. Yes, a skylight without the glass. Yeah. Is it a large skylight or is it a hatchway that's open? We can't really tell at mm. this point. Looking down upon... Dr. Glisson and his mob, as the doctor says, Take him downstairs with the rest. Tomorrow at dusk, we start our adventure. Yes, Dr. Glisson, is the reply. And panel two is another shot of Dr. Glisson. Who, for, I'm going to have bad dreams about him tonight, listeners, I tell you. As he stands, it looks like he's taking his pulse. He stands there glowing in his room and he says, Complete. My crew is complete. Now... I shall rule the sea <laughs> tomorrow, tomorrow. And we have a slow dissolve, and a caption says, Next day, we get a shot of a pair of hands holding a newspaper. The newspaper is the Daily Star. We're going to come back to that. Mm -hmm. The headline reads, Commander of Sub Kidnapped, Disappearance Puzzles Police and Navy. Okay, a slow dissolve, and the next caption reads, The news creates a sensation, but none is more interested than the Hour Man. Yes, we see a gentleman holding the newspaper, and we're presuming it's Rex Tyler. This is the point I wanted to make when I mentioned not seeing Johnny Chambers. There's not a single reference <laughs> to Rex Tyler in this story. But Rex is on the phone, and he's saying, I have a terrible cold, boss. I'd, I'd like the day off. And he thinks, 
to continue the search. And the other half of this split panel, we see presumably Mr. Bannerman of Bannerman Chemicals yes. on the receiver, and he says, Very well. But he thinks, You mollycoddle. <laughs> A slow dissolve then, caption for panel five. So time passes. Endless hours of fruitless search until the hour man comes to... Yes, it's outside a shop, and we can see that the shop has the words Ship's Supplies written in the glass. Rex says out loud, Well, this is the last place. Caption for the next panel. Inside the store, we find Dr. Glisten wearing a smock and hat to cover up the glow of light that comes from him. Yes, that's interesting, because that suggests that the clothes he was wearing earlier on are sort of completely irradiated, but can then be covered up. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Dr. Glisten is examining the piece of rope that Rex brought in, and Dr. Glisten says, Hmm, yes, I handle rope like this. How much do you want? To which Rex replies, I don't know. Do you carry much? Is there a call for it? And he thinks triumphantly, At last! The hour man's keen eyes do not fail to notice the proprietor's body stiffen. Rex thinks, he's on guard. Then he says, you see, I'm thinking of buying an old boat and refitting her. Ah, I see, replies the doctor. Then a caption for the final panel, page five reads, Just then, Wayne Carson enters the room. Seems as though he's come in from a side door or a back door. And he says, Goodbye, Glisten. Everything will be ready. To which our man thinks, Carson! What's he doing here? I'd better follow him. The first panel of page six. Rex takes his leave, saying, I just remembered. I have an appointment. I'll be back in an hour. That's quite clever. I like that. Moves to the door. Dr. Glisson says, Very well, sir. And then he thinks, I won't be here when you come back, pest. I'm waiting for Rex to take his pill. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, but we'll come back to that, obviously. Mm. The caption then for panel two. Quickly, the hour man finds an alley, divests himself of his outer garments. Yes, see Rex in costume. And it's worth pointing out that his mask at this point looks like a, a proper fitted sort of... Cowl. Cowl, rather than the sort of hood yeah. that we got used to. Anyway, he says, now to see what Carson is up to. And we're interrupted by another caption, which reads... Unsuspecting, Carson leads the hour man to an abandoned warehouse not far from the ship Chandler's. Yes, another high-angle shot here. We can see Carson making his way into this warehouse. Our man is standing on the rooftop looking down, and he says, He's going into that old warehouse. I'll have to get in through that skylight. We can see the skylight indeed on the roof. A mighty leap, and the hour man descends lightly on the roof. Yep, so he must have popped his pill at some point, mm -hmm. although we don't see it. He doesn't have his hand up to his face in panel two. Presumably that's what's going on. Our man of lights. We must talk about the very interesting layout of, of this page. Yes. It almost looks as though Rex is sort of stepping into panel five. Uh-huh. It's very, very effective. It's going to be a murder cropping this down to fit on the socials. Maybe we'll just <laughs> put the whole page up to give you an idea. Our man moves across the roof saying, well, this is very interesting. A false floor. And you can see inside that Carson is making his way towards a big hole in the ground. This is very odd to work out. It looks so our man is looking down into another room which has a hatchway open that leads down to the room that we saw at the start of page five. Listeners, this is where it comes in handy if you're able to read along because <laughs> my descriptions <laughs> might not quite do the job. Mm -hmm. The caption in for panel six reads, As Carson goes down the stairs, the hour man drops from the skylight. Yep, see what you see. Our man jumps in saying, 
There must be something mighty important down there. And there is, for an instant later. Yes, the geography of this building is fascinating because our man has made his way all the way down, followed, obviously, going down the, the ladder that Carson climbed down, and he finds and says out loud, A hidden submarine! But what? And we move in a little closer because we can see some figures standing on the top of the submarine and we see it's none other than the chauffeur and Wayne Carson, the chauffeur, is saying, Hey, Carson, when do we shove off in this private crate of yours? Shut up, you fool. No one is supposed to know the owner of this. We arrive at the top of page seven now. The caption for the first panel there says, Too late, the hour man realises that his weight has betrayed him. The floor gives way beneath him. Yes, his... I mean, as much as I like Bernard Bailey, and some of this is gorgeous, there was no real sense there whatsoever no. of where Rex was standing and what he was doing. Let me compare it with the with the reprint in Wanted Issue 7. Let me have a look at this. No, it just looks like Rex is standing in the, in the panel frame again. It's very okay. odd. Anyway, yes, our man plummets towards the conspirators. Carson cries, The Our Man! And as he drops to the submarine, our man says, Unannounced, but at your service! And with a Bop! Punches out one of the other goons. Carson cries, Look out! I'll give it to him! He's pulled a pistol. Our man leaps in the next panel, saying, Not this time, pal! And he collides with Carson, who fires, and his bullet shatters the glass of the building beside him. And we see in the foreground of the panel a hand bearing a knife creeping in. But, thankfully, our man wills around in time, and with another uppercut, knocks out the guy bearing the knife who drops it. That's fantastic. And tiny insert in the next panel. Our man points at Carson and says, Now I'm going to attend to you, Carson. He grabs him, saying, First, where is Preston? At the ship Chandler's. Quick, he's in danger. They walk off, and the next panel, they're back at the shop. We can see the, the sign in the window. Our man is walking, with Carson in front of him, and he has his hand on Carson's shoulder, or at Carson's shoulder. And our man says, This will stave off any tricks. One false move and I'll break your neck. As the hour man enters the shop, a strange sight greets his eyes. Yeah, it looks like a couple of sailors are standing in front of Dr. Glisson with his aura, and he's clearly hypnotising them, because he's saying, You understand. You will follow me. And obviously this is the crew that he's assembled, because we hear their combined voices replying, Yes, yes master. master. The first panel of page eight is captioned, Dropping his captive, the Hour Man leaps for Dr. Glisson. Very dynamic shot of Hour Man flying towards Glisson. We see what must be the roof of <laughs> the artificial roof or artificial floor that I'm becoming obsessed with. Glisson exclaims, Stop! I command it! Stop! Then the caption for panel two says, As if by some supernatural magic, the Hour Man is halted in mid-air as his eyes focus on the glittering Dr. Glisson. Dr. Glisson... Just, um, honestly, nightmare fuel. Glowing. We see our man basically hovering in midair above him with his cape hanging down. Dr. Glisson says, So, you're the famed hour man. <laughs> well, your hour has come. I, I can't move, exclaims our man. Wayne Carson arrives back on the scene in the next panel saying, So, you thought you could stop us, but now Dr. Glisson has hypnotized you like the others. They know submarines and will do our bidding. We'll get millions in plunder from ships, and it will be blamed on enemy subs. My goodness, what a fiendish plan. The caption for panel four. But even as Carson speaks, the hour man has called upon his reserve strength. His hand steals to the bright hourglass around his neck. 
Yes. No. <laughs> Listeners, I hope you're reading along and can try and make sense of this because when I was reading along and preparing earlier on today, I was like, what? Now, our man grasps his hourglass, which appears to be glowing, right? And he moves it towards Dr. Glisson, who says, That's hourglass! Take it away! Our man replies, It's too late. Your spell is wearing off. So... Whatever it was he was able to do that made Rex stop and hang in midair is obviously only a temporary thing. Panel 5 is captioned, As the hour man drops to the floor, he grabs Dr. Glisson and hoists him up over his head. See what you see, yes, and as he does so, Rex says, I've got to get that glow off him. Ah, that brine barrel. And he spots something, obviously, at our line of sight. The caption for panel 6, with a twist of his mighty body, the hour man hurls the doctor into the brine. Yes, and, um... I'm just checking. I don't see any sign of the, the brine barrel in any other panel. Nope. But yes, we see the Doctor head first going into this brine barrel, which presumably is enough to stop him. Caption for panel 7. Instantly, Dr. Glisson's hold on his captives is broken. Yes, because Frank Preston leaps into action, saying, So you're behind this, Carson. Now you go behind bars. And he, once again, another uppercut. Punches Carson, who seems to contort into a very weird shape and go flying. The final panel. The sailors look happy and relieved to be free of Dr. Glisson's influence as Frank and our man shake hands. And Frank says, Who put that mad doctor in an asylum? You sure saved our skins. And a smiling our man says, And my own too. Something tells me I'm going to need it for future work. And in lieu of a caption saying the end, we have a small caption that says, Bernard, Bernard Bailey. Bailey. Well, what went on at the end there? <laughs> I don't know. Because he grasped the hourglass. Does he get his powers from the hourglass at this stage? I don't um, think that's the case. I don't think so, no. I mean, because we said, not only was he not referred to as Rex Tyler, but there wasn't a point at all where he took the famous Miracle Pill to give him uh -huh. his famous hour of power. Yeah. Which makes me want to rush off and read the Hour Man stories in the JSA All-Stars archive to remind myself like, yeah. how much a... Was that a huge part of his... I can't remember. I'm thinking that maybe he used the hourglass to put him in between him and Dr. Glisson, because obviously if his power comes from the glow around him, then perhaps the glass and the hourglass might diffuse that. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly... There's a weird sort of red aura between them Yeah, when Rex does that. And maybe it was enough to kind of... Does Dr. Glisson... Not, no, he doesn't have to be looking at him for it to work. I mean, and then our man says it's too late, your spell is wearing off, so is it holding him in midair. I mean, it's a brilliant image. Uh -huh. Rex sort of ho hovering in midair with his cape hanging down, looking like, you know, like a, a fancy bath towel. But it's, it certainly seems that, for whatever reason, the hourglass is able to, you know, diffuse or mm -hmm. or interrupt whatever it is that, that Glisten is trying to do. But then he's still, I've got to get that glow off him. So why does he have to get the glow off him? Because <laughs> he senses that's what his power is. Also, yeah. Do Dr. Glisson's power seemed to be hypnosis up until that stage because you can't hypnotise someone into hovering in midair. Very well put, yes. <laughs> I was thinking the same. Does, is the glow how he manifests? And how does Rex yeah. know that the brine barrel is going to put out that particular flame, as it were? His glow kind of reminds me of the Outsiders character, Halo, who has different auras that have got different abilities. Right. So I'm wondering, if, could he be the Earth 2 version of Halo? I mean, as we know, I haven't read enough Outsiders to comment. I don't know. I have no answers at all. DC Multiverse Historian probably has got uh, some theories on that one. So if you're out there, yes. let us know. I hope he has. Yes, I was I was thinking the same. We don't really get an explanation of who Dr. Glisson is or, 
or why he wants to do what he's doing or how he got his powers. We just know that he, yep. he has this, that him and Wayne have crafted this plan to plunder us and, and pirate submarines. Yep. We could talk about the, the whys and wherefores, but we should really, I think we should really be talking a bit more about some of the, the gorgeously intricate artwork from Mr. Bailey. Yes, there's some great layouts, some great panels. Uh-huh. I mean, the plotting and exposition falls down, but mm-hmm. pages in six and seven are fascinating. The way our man sort of dances across the rooftop and seems to be stepping out of one panel into another one and then yes. jumping through a little hooped insert panel and then... Very Will Eisner-esque a lot of it, yeah. Yeah. It makes the hero look very dynamic because mm-hmm. the bit when Rex punches out the guy in the green jumper and on page two, you know, that oh. slips into a sort of circle sort of inset sort of effect. It's very, very interesting. Yeah. And our man out on patrol and just coming across this time reminded me very much of the Quicksilver story when we did No Wasps, <laughs> when Quicksilver was also yes. out casually strolling in patrol and came across a crime. Yeah. I mean, when he's out on this patrol, had, had he taken it, you know, there's no... There's no mention of Miracle. There's no mention of it at all. No. So wait a minute, which this is from Adventure Comics seventy. And interestingly, this is this is the story of our man that they chose to reprint for this series. I know the focus is on the villains, but this is a one off villain, yes. Doctor Glisten. Although he, as you said, he is very memorable and very creepy. But it's it's not a great showcase for our man and what he does, to be honest. No, I would agree with that, but I think the fact that it's such a creepy, scary looking villain kinda makes up for it. Yeah, true kind of mitigates it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is towards the end of our man's time. Right. Because obviously oh. he first appeared in Adventure Comics 48, so, mm-hmm. you know, he's on the way out by this point. So yeah. had he reached the point where, um you know, he was using the black light to activate his powers by this point? Could be. Again, if they'd continued their archive reprint mm-hmm. program, I might be more familiar with some of his stories. Yes, very true. So, I mean, issue 72 of Adventure Comics, that's only about 10 or 11 issues before he finishes up. So, yeah. that's, I mean... That is a huge gulf of stories that are available to actually be able to check and see exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Didn't anticipate this conversation before we started reading this story, to be honest. Well. What was going on with any of it? What was going on with our man's powers, with no mention of Rex Tyler, and what actually happened in the last page? Good grief. However, the conversation we did anticipate was the newspaper, the Daily Star. <laughs> yes. The Daily Star in Britain, listeners, is a bit of a... I don't, I don't want to sound too snobby, but it's a bit of a... Bit of a sensationalist downmarket tabloid, isn't it? Really, yes, it is indeed. <laughs> I think it's marginally better than the Sun. It's, it certainly likes putting um good-looking, famous ladies on the front page, which is a good thing if you ask me. Uh-huh. <laughs> However, the Earth Two version of the Daily Star is, of course, the newspaper that Clark Kent and Lois Lane worked at. Absolutely. So I wonder if there's a byline in this that says uh, C Kent or L Lane. Unfortunately, we can't see a byline on it. And does this mean that this is a metropolis that this is taking place, or? Does the Daily Star have a national distribution? Yeah, that's a good question. That's a good question. Again, we shall defer to our pal on the Twitter sphere, Multiverse Historian, if he has anything to say about newspapers and stuff in the DC universe. He can let mm. us know and we'll, we will retweet and share. Yep. I'm exhausted, quite frankly, <laughs> after these stories tonight. Just pop some Miracle and uh, jump into action. That'll uh, work it all out your system. Yes, Miracle before bedtime. That's a good idea, isn't it? <laughs> I like how the, the cover... Of Wanted Issue 7, mm. used that shot of, of Rex being sort of caught in midair. Yeah. I just would have liked a, a slightly clearer explanation as how what he did to actually get out of it. Yeah. As you said, the artwork was nice, but some of the storytelling wasn't the best. Yeah. Maybe Sailor Frank could have, you know, momentarily shrugged off the influence or been shown to be struggling with the influence and maybe yeah. fought it off and reached forward and distracted Glisten, which would have yeah. allowed our man to drop to the ground. But there probably wouldn't have been enough mm-hmm. panels left for that. Yeah. I think you summed it up very well there, actually, with, with, with what you said. That brilliant art, but not the best storytelling from mm-hmm. Mr. Bailey. 
So overall, let's have a look back over these two stories. Which one did you prefer? Well, I love our man. I know. <laughs> You're going to say that. It was great to kind of feature him because he's, you know, actually he'll be back. Uh-huh. Spoilers in the podcast before too long. Very true. But we haven't really seen much of him recently. Mm-hmm. Bernard's layouts are phenomenal. They really mm-hmm. are. I mean, it was gorgeous. The Johnny story was really interesting too because I love Johnny Quick. He's another one of my favourite characters. I mean, All Star yeah. Squadron is one of my favourite comics and it's, it's good that we got a chance to do another one of his stories. Mm-hmm. If you remember, listeners, a couple of years ago, we did a story where Johnny fought the Spectre, but not that yes, Spectre. but not that Spectre, no. If you haven't listened to that episode, go and seek it out. It was roughly about two years ago. The Spectre's magic formula, yes. Yeah. I think for purposes of clarity, mm-hmm. I preferred the Doctor Clever one. Uh-huh. Although I think the artwork and layouts and stuff in the the Iron Man story were and the, the Doctor Glisten adventure were probably a little bit more yeah. extravagant and interesting. Which was your uh-huh. favourite? Well, the Johnny Quick one was my favourite. As I think we said at the top of the episode, we both picked sample stories from this series, and it just so happened they were both in the same issue. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as representative of our favourites, and obviously yeah. you, know, you went for the Iron Man story being a, a Rex guy. Yes. I went for the Johnny Quick story because I do like mad scientist characters, and Doctor Clever's fascinating, and also I love speedsters, and Johnny Quick's great. Yeah. Johnny's very all-action hero. He's very much the way he's portrayed in All-Star Squadron in this. Uh-huh. Very super confident, very mm-hmm. chisel-jawed almost action hero. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's great fun. I mean, listeners, we did vaguely for about five seconds when I suggested it, think about doing a couple of episodes. Mm-hmm to cover wanted stories. Yeah. But we realised that the characters that we probably would have picked are characters that are going to feature either when we do Secret Origins or in one of our other planned Portmanteau episodes when we discuss characters that have similar names. And indeed, there might actually be a couple more Portmanteau episodes that this, this series has led us to. Yes. It's a great series, as we laboured at the top. If you haven't got the hardcover, we'd encourage you to check it out. I believe it's still in print. I don't think it's going to be too yeah, uh-huh. inflated or anything at the, moment, at the moment. It's a nice mix of stories. Maybe you could read the Iron Man story and try and figure out what was going on in the last few panels. Maybe you could. Yeah. So a quick jump ahead to Wanted Issue 9, the final issue in that series, uh, to have a look at the response from the readers in the letter column. Yes, unusual that a reprint series has some contemporary correspondence. It'd be nice to have some contemporary correspondence to see what people thought in the 40s, but no. Wanted, your letters, send them to Wanted National Periodical Publications. This series, of course, was curated by E. Nelson Bridwell, and he looks after the letters page. The first letter to deal with Issue 7, very short, and just says, Dear Editor, Wanted number seven was just great. The Johnny Quick story was the best. The story of Our Man's fight with Dr. Glisten was good too. Considering the Hawkman story, was the gentleman ghost a real ghost? And that's from Joel Guzman, Brooklyn, New York. ENB replies, that's a question that was never answered in the entire series of battles between him and the Winged Wonder. And of course, we've talked about that at length on the podcast already. Yes. The next letter. Dear Editor, Wanted Issue 7 was a disappointment. Oh, gosh. After six great issues plus two DC specials, which were all masterpieces, you finally come up or down with a bomb. Oh dear. However, I am confident that this is an exception rather than the rule. Johnny Quick was surprising because I had no idea that Mort Meskin drew that way. I suppose that when I had seen other stories drawn by Ralph Mayo, I had thought that that was the way Johnny was always drawn. Mort Meskin impressed me as being rather sloppy. Oh dear. Mm. It's a bit harsh. The Hawkman ghost story was not bad, but it was too short, and we have already seen the ghost this month in Secret Origins anyway. Please don't overexpose a villain. 
Dr. Glisson seems like an interesting foe, but was not used well in the Hourman story. It reminded me of three gallons of water poured into a two-gallon container. Wow. Gosh. And that's from Alan Varney, Wathena, Kansas. I'm presuming it's Kansas. And ENB's reply to that one is, Your reaction to the Johnny Quick story is surprising. All the connoisseurs of Golden Age art have been begging for Mescan art on Johnny, which is considered some of the best. So there we go. So mm. that's the contemporary correspondence. But as Peter always says... But what do you think? You can email us at the Podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you follow us on social media because we're putting up some lovely bonus material for this and indeed every episode. On Twitter at podcast underscore earth2 and on Facebook and Instagram we're at the earth2 podcast. And it's the number two for all our social media. Yes, be sure to check out the socials because we'll be posting full cover gallery for the Wanted series, some panel highlights from the stories we've read and... I'll post the covers of the DC special issues and I might have scraped together a few pieces of original cover art and a few DC house ads for the series as well. So that'll that'll keep me busy for a few days. <laughs> it's just what you all wanted. <laughs> hey, very good. And on that bombshell. Yes. I've been Peter. And I've been David. Thanks for listening, folks. Take care. We'll see you very soon on... Podcast. Podcast. Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinate set for Earth... Prime. Now, to give my voice a rest, there's a lot... <laughs> I can't even say it! <laughs> there's your outtake, there's your outtake. Now, to give my voice a rest, Peter's going to read out this very long caption. Inside the dressing room, a dark-spectacled man pushes his way through the crowd of attendants. <laughs> for, some, for some reason I heard you saying testicled. <laughs> <laughs> a dark-testicled man... Push his way through the crowd. <laughs> One ball at a time. <laughs> Left ball. <laughs> right ball. <laughs> Left Why, ball. His right testicles ball. are so dark. Yes, he needs to. He needs it's to do a something. source of all his power. He needs to do. He needs to do something about that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs>